I, for me, I wish I would have educated myself on what addiction meant. Um, and that it's not just because I want him to stop doesn't mean he's going to stop. And because he wants to stop doesn't mean it's that easy. As you guys know, I mean, it's not just a matter of using or not using. There's so many steps that are involved in it too, right? You have to make some changes and you have to really work for it. It's not just that easy. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. From Darkness to Life, back in the Plugged In Media Network studio, I'm here with my good friend Rick today and uh, this episode is brought to you by Nicole Davis Realty. Thanks for the support. Rick, how you doing, buddy? Just peachy. Busy. Yeah, you're peachy. You're peachy? What is that? We are shit in the bed. This what morning. is peachy? I'm good. No, I'm good. I'm busy. There's uh, lots going on. Yeah. I'm getting pulled in a million directions, but it's uh, it's good. It's all fulfilling. So, yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, my my dog. I want I want to punch my dog in the face sometimes. Do you clarify that? Do you punch your dog in the face? Yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> she punches me in the face. It's it's like this game we play. She, I was running into my bedroom at four in the morning and punches me in the face and then yeah. I retaliate and then we wrestle and then she thinks it's playtime. Nice. Yeah. You should stream that. I should. Yeah. You wear pants while you do that? No. No. Okay. Don't stream that. <laughs> <laughs> no one needs to see that nonsense. <laughs> right on. Uh, yeah. And I'm doing really well. Thanks for asking. How are, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good, Matt. Uh, had the privilege of speaking to you. Well, we had the privilege of speaking at one of the high schools this week. We spoke at the police station. We spoke at, uh, had the privilege of speaking this morning at the city to a few city employees with the electrical department. And every time, you know, we get this opportunity to speak and share a bit of our experience and share what our journey looked like and what OCJ is, it's, it's amazing how many people, you know, we talked about this lots. How we never expect people to come up and talk to us or raise their hands with questions or, and every time somebody's, you know, vulnerable enough to start talking. And it's pretty cool to open that door. It is pretty cool. Cause I remember like, especially, you know, the time in the patch and shit, right. Safety meetings and all these talks. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck, I'm way too cool. I'm not talking to those guys. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Who are these idiots? Totally. But like, I don't have a problem. <laughs> now we're the idiots. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. And people are asking us to come share our stories of insanity. Well, yeah, it is insane. It is, but I think it's that normalizing it, right? It's, it's, that's how you reduce stigma. I think is let's talk and normalize these conversations and get them out there. Cause. Well, speak for yourself. I, you were insane. Yeah. I was pretty yeah vanilla, I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You were <laughs> vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's move on to our guest. <laughs> Nobody wants to listen to us all day. Uh, we are joined today with one of our friends from our local community from Medicine Hat. Miss Carrie Canvas is here today. How are you doing, Carrie? I'm doing good. Thank you. Yeah. What does good mean? Oh, I'm content. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are, you, are you nervous? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. I know. Ryan's pretty intimidating. That's yeah. right. It's the purse. I well, I forgot my purse today. Um, yeah. You're not the first guest that sat in these chairs. I, I still get a little nervous at the start. Obviously, it took three takes today to get this rolling, but the headphones disappear and, and uh, things become normal. And it's we've just been discussing this this morning, right? It's normalizing these conversations because they're important. So I know you are local to the community and I know you outside of these rooms and I've known you for a while now. And, but I think maybe some of our listeners don't know you and, and don't know, you know, some of your journey and what you've been through and what you've experienced. And 
Yeah. So I really appreciate you showing up today and wanting to be part of this and, and just shed some light on, you know, what you've went through. And so I guarantee somebody out there is going through the same stuff that you've experienced and somebody needs to hear this story and this message. There's so many people that reach out to us that aren't necessarily the ones that need the help. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think we need to focus more on bringing more attention and voice to, you know, the, the supports and the, the spouses and the parents and the, everybody else that's trying to live with, well, people like me and Ryan, right. <clears throat> or, or come through the other side of that too. So. Yeah, no, I'm happy to be here. And these conversations are important to have. Um, and I know during my journey too, not a lot of people had them openly, mm-hmm. especially being family members and all the people that are directly impacted um, with the substance use. Um, so no, I'm happy to be here and happy to share my story. And Oh, that's so cool. Thank yeah. you for that. Um, so yeah, why don't you share a little bit with us and the listeners, uh, you know, a little bit of your journey, what that's looked like. All right. Um, so I lost my partner, Riley, in 2016. Um, so just over six years ago, he passed away from a heroin overdose, um, as well as prescription medications. When he had passed away, there was actually about three Safeway bags full of different medications he was prescribed um, from everywhere between Calgary and here. So that was uh, pretty shocking to see. It wasn't surprising because I kind of had seen the journey for the last few months. I knew this was going to happen. But so I guess like going back in time. So when I first met Riley, uh, before we started dating, like he was just sober and he was eight days sober at the time. And to me, because I didn't know much about addiction, I never thought I was really impacted because in my head, I always thought addiction was like the picture, you know, that everybody has. And it's mm-hmm. a typical person on the street and, you know, using in dark alleys and whatnot. Um, I didn't have a clue, like the personal impact of it. Totally. Um, so he was sober eight days when I met him. So in my world, I kind of thought that was like this big deal. Everything was fine. He was good. That is a big deal. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was great because he had had uh, 14 years of a heroin addiction at that oh. point. Um but I just kind of assumed he was done using and that'd be the end of it. Um, And it wasn't like that. Our first year together was awful. It was kind of back and forth between hospitals and doctors. Um, He kept being prescribed like Percocet, like Oxy, like every single thing you can think of. And then like different benzos, like just nonstop. Mm -hmm. Um, So between his health issues, being in and out of the hospital, he also had a heart issue when he was born. So he ended up with endocarditis like right away, which is like a severe heart infection. So he almost died from that within like the first few months we were together. And then I got really sick because I was diagnosed with Lyme disease. So for the first year, it was like either he was in the hospital or I was in the hospital. And then I was being prescribed medications, but my medications would go missing because I wouldn't take them. Um, But then he would kind of blame them on me. Missing, not missing. Yeah, exactly. And like one time I think there was 17 pills missing and he tried to say he knocked it down the sink. But then it was all of a sudden I took them, but I had never taken any of these Mm -hmm. medications. But then you start to question yourself like, oh shit, well, did I take them? (laughs) This Uh, this sounds awfully familiar to a story I was just sharing with you yesterday in the parking lot about somebody mysteriously dropping pills. Accidentally dropping pills down a toilet. Yeah. Sorry, your pills are gone. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how that happens. Weird, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It just kind of turns off and there they go. Uh, so yeah, that happened a few times actually. Um, and then I would hide my own medications and then they would go missing as well. And um, with Lyme disease too, you have memory issues. So sometimes I would kind of wonder if it was me that was mis- like putting them away or hiding them or whatever. Um, so that was really hard. And then he was kind of in between jobs at the time too. And then all of a sudden these injuries would start happening. Um, he broke his ribs by sitting outside on our front store or front step having a smoke Mm -hmm. it was three steps so how he broke his ribs on that i have no idea and i don't think i want to know um i have my suspicions but 
So he did that just by sitting on a step. Right. Um, and then, so that put him in the hospital again. And then he rebroke them again. So then punctured a lung. Oh. Um, and then he broke his, I think it was his wrist at a job a couple of weeks after that. And so it was just, it was nonstop. Right. And so he ended up uh, in one of the treatment centers outside of Claire's home. Um, I forget what it's called. So we, uh, his mom and I, we kind of convinced him to go. Uh, we didn't think he would, but he did. And then while he was in treatment, I put my house up for sale in Calgary. That's where we were at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, left my job and then moved here. So while he was still in treatment, so it was very quick, put the house up for sale, sold, bought a house here, and then we moved here. Because in my mind, I'm like, hey, take him out of the situation. Everything will be fine. We'll be good. Um, he's getting out of treatment. He'll be fine. He'll be sober. Yeah, fresh like, start, fresh yeah, city. Yeah, yeah. Because I and I didn't know, and I should have taken the time at that point to kind of educate myself. But I just assumed like, hey, he's in treatment. He's where he needs to be. I don't need to do anything, which is not the way this works at all. Um, because as they say, like addiction is a family disease, right? It impacts everybody, and it really does. Um, so yeah, we moved out here, and then things just kind of got even worse, which I didn't think would happen. Um, yeah, so moved out here. I got sick, then I couldn't work for a while. Well, I still haven't been able to. And then he was sober for a little bit, or I think he was. I don't know if he really, truly was. Then he found out he needed to have open heart surgery. <laughs> so, and this is all within like six months of being in oh, Medicine shit. Hat. Um, so yeah, he found out he needed to have open heart surgery. So that was in August. He had the heart surgery, which was a disaster. He ended up flatlining three times during surgery. Uh, his lungs collapsed, and um, there was something else. The surgery ended up being 12 hours. It should have only been four, wow. just because he had done so much damage to his heart with all the drug use, because mm-hmm. he was an IV user. And so when he got out of the hospital, which was surprised, nobody thought he was going to walk out of there. Like, they just couldn't believe it. Um, so we said our goodbyes at the hospital and everything. That was really hard, and that was very unexpected, because we thought, I mean, I know our heart surgery isn't easy, but we just thought that it wouldn't be quite yeah, like that. you don't expect it to not work out yeah yeah exactly and so he got out of the hospital and then I made him stay in Calgary with his parents for a little bit because I was just worried about him coming home and having like medications and whatnot right. um and we had signed contracts before he had the heart surgery to make sure he wouldn't be given any kind of opioids mm-hmm. um because he was in recovery and everybody's like yeah okay so they had a plan made out everything was good the plan stayed in place uh he got released from the hospital and then I think it was three weeks later, he ended up back in the hospital because he had a lung infection from when his lungs collapsed. And at that point, one of the nurses didn't read his file. So they ended up prescribing him pain meds. Yeah. And that's all it took. It was just that one time. And I knew as soon as I saw him, I knew that there was an issue. Um, and so it just it spiraled out of control from there. So from Medicine Hat to Calgary, he kind of went back and forth and it worked like because everybody felt pity for him. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, he's good. And when you're kind of seeking, I mean, you know the right things to say, you know the people to go mm-hmm. to. And if that one doesn't work, you go to the next. Yeah. And that's exactly what he did. We're pretty good at that. Yeah. And it's amazing the things that like... Turns out we're highly manipulative. <laughs> yeah. And it's and some of the things are so obvious too that are said, but then like as they all start, you kind of believe it. It's like, really, maybe, maybe my cat really did steal my medication <laughs> or maybe they did fall down the toilet. Sure. And the labels just sus- suspiciously fell off. Like it just, you kind of question yourself like a lot. Um, and then you feel like an asshole for questioning them too, mm-hmm. or not believing their stories. So yeah. So when he relapsed again at the end there, so yeah, back and forth between all these doctors, hospitals and whatnot. Um, so things got like crazy at the house. I ended up kicking him out. 
because things just got like insane. And then my other medication started missing. And like I said, like when he told me the cat stole the meds, I'm not even kidding you. He literally told me the cat like got on the dresser and opened a fridge and like opened up bottles. And it was just, it was insane. It's uh, fucking cats. You can't trust them, man. <laughs> I know. And I've never heard anything like that before. And I'm like, fuck. I knew there was a reason I don't like cats. <laughs> <laughs> fuck. Yeah, I questioned my no after that. <laughs> so, yeah. So after that, yeah, it was just it was back and forth in the hospitals. Um, I knew there was going to be an issue. So I was trying to convince like his family in Calgary to kind of help because I didn't know what to do with him here. I had them take him, but then he would come back here. He had nowhere to go when he was here. He would go to the hospitals, and then they would just kind of send him back on the street, and then mm-hmm. he'd have nowhere to go. Uh, the police kind of picked him up a few times, and I had the police pick him up from the house. Of, and I didn't want to call, but, I mean, I didn't really have right. a choice just because things were, like, crazy at the house. Mm-hmm. So the police arrested him. Uh, when they showed up to pick him up, he actually pulled a knife out on the driveway, so I think he was trying to do, like, the cop-by-suicide yeah. thing. Uh, which is really hard to see. And then, of course, like I'm feeling even worse for calling or making the call to begin with, but I didn't know what to do. So, and that caused like all sorts of issues like in my life with between family members Mm -hmm. because nobody understood. They just think I'm, you know, just trying to get them out of the house and, you know, doing this for fun, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, so he's arrested then. They took him to the hospital. They said they're going to keep him. They didn't. They let him go. He came back to the house right away. So he's arrested again. And he had nobody else in medicine at the time. It was just me. And my mom was here at the time, too. Um, so he had nowhere else to really go. And then the hospital released him again. Then his dad, I think, came out to get him that night. And then took him back to Calgary, which I I don't know what they went through with him there. I just know it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. And then he was supposed to come back out to Medicine Hat for a court date. And he came back. And then... He sent me some, we weren't supposed to be having any kind of contact. There was a court order put in place, but he contacted me. So I ended up reporting him again, just because I knew the message he was using. And in my mind, I'm like, Hey, like he's not supposed to be right now. I thought I'd be helping him by doing that. I don't think that's really what happened. So he was arrested again for breaking like the court order. And then they told me they were going to keep him in jail. This is during Thanksgiving. They said they keep him in jail for the four days. And to my mind, I'm like, hey, that gives us four days. He's, like, safe. He's sober. Or maybe not sober, but at least he's safe. Um, we know where he is. Supervised. We, yeah, yeah, supervised. And then uh, me and his family can make up an actual plan. But that's not what happened. So he ended up being released that night after a few hours. And then his dad took him back to Calgary. And then he went out that night and then spent whatever money on whatever. And then the next morning, his mom went to work. And she never works on the weekend, but she had to for that day, whatever reason. And when she came home, he was uh, gone. He had overdosed in his bedroom. And mm-hmm. um, he had actually overdosed, to, I guess it was two, three weeks before that, too, at the house. I don't know why I didn't mention that. And that's actually why I ended up kicking him out is because when I found that, it was just it was too much between yeah. that and then, like, the cat incident. <laughs> uh, it was just a little <clears throat> bit much. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a very, very long journey. And then trying to kind of deal with the aftermath has been really hard because it's not just dealing with like the loss of that. It was like all their losses of the other relationships mm-hmm. they had and kind of cleaning up the mess that he kind of left behind in some sense. Cause he had emptied out like our savings account. Yeah. I had this house we just bought. So then I had to try to figure out how to keep that. Um, just all these little things that just happened along the way. Right. Um, an investigation was actually started with the hospitals, uh, the director of the foothills hospital. 
uh, in Calgary. He is the one that supervised the like investigation. Just because I said at the time too, there was a report that came out on the news saying like people who had heart surgery may have passed away from this infection through the ventilator. So then my head, I'm like, hey, well, maybe it wasn't an overdose. Right. Maybe he really did have these actual issues. And so the investigation was started and they said, no, um, I wasn't allowed to record anything, but they basically just said, like, we gave him a loaded gun. Uh, yeah. We didn't read the file because it was five times in his file that he shouldn't have been given medications. Um, and so they kind of admitted their fault in it. They apologized and they said they're going to make some changes to the system after that. And whether they did, I don't know, but I think so. And this is before when you'd go to emergency rooms, when you put your name in, they can now look up and see what you've been prescribed. Like it shows up right away instead of having to search for it. Whereas before, if you'd go in, that's not the case. They'd have to directly like look up, I guess, to right. see if you're given like Percocet or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's like on the main page, which is great. So that's really good that something came out of it that way. But yeah, yeah. for sure. And it's hard to get those big systems to change, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and unfortunately, sometimes it takes these catastrophic events. But mm-hmm. wow. And that's all in six years since 2016. Yeah, that was actually in the first year. <laughs> that was also, that was the year. Shit. That was, was six months. Year. Yeah, that was six months. That was from, because we moved out here in March 2016 and he passed away October uh, 2016. It's oh fucking chaos, eh? Yeah, it's been a long, long uh, couple of years. And then, like I said, too, just losing all the relationships after, too, because nobody understood. And still to this day, like, I lost my best friend of 25 years. Mm -hmm. um, And I don't know if it has anything to do with this, just because I wasn't in a very good place after he had passed either. Right. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. And there's a lot of guilt, too, because, I mean, I wasn't very nice to him when he was using. And especially in the end, like, I was really angry. I was hurt, Mm -hmm. especially because I'd just given up my whole life. And we had this plan, like, when we came here, there was these three rules. You know, he'd be going to treatment. He'd stay sober and have a job. And none of those stuck with it. Like, not one. And then it was just, yeah, then saying the goodbye at the hospital when he had his heart surgery. Like, it was all these things that were just very traumatic and very hard. And then um, I know I wasn't the easiest person to be around. uh, And I get that. But, yeah, so that was really hurtful, too, that kind of lose those relationships. For sure. Um, One of my, I don't know if I should say who it was or not. Um, You don't have to say. Yeah, somebody very close in my life, too, same thing, um, actually blamed me. And I didn't know that. But... Like, didn't even come to the funeral. Uh, I was at his house that week. So I had to go to Calgary for the funeral. Didn't even come home. Um, so I found out, I think it was like three or four years later, that he blamed me for Riley's death. And that's why he kind of kept me at a distance. Right. Uh, that was really hard because that's somebody like in my immediate family. Um, that was really tough. And then even like going to my own pharmacy too, like going to get my own medications that I need like on a daily basis. The pharmacist there was kind of treating me horrible because Riley had gone in and said I was stealing his medications. Yeah. So I had to sit there and try to explain like, hey, that's not the case. That's not what happened. It wasn't me. Like I'm not, I'm totally. not the one with the issue here. Uh, so that was really hard. So I had to try to pick up those pieces. Um, it was just, yeah, it was a lot of things and trying to make amends with this family too. Cause I think they were angry with me. I was angry with them mm-hmm. and now we're amazing. Like I talked to his mom all the time. Like oh. they're, I love them. They're my other parents pretty much. Mm-hmm. So it just, it was a lot of miscommunication, everybody trying for the same goal, but we were all trying very different approaches. Um, cause I, and I knew, like, I knew he was going to, I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was the outcome and I had made him do a drug test prior to, and even on the no, a drug test it was like five different substances at one time after his heart surgery. So, I mean, that was, he was doomed. Like there's, you can't survive that. So, especially after having such a major surgery like that. So it's, uh, it's been interesting. <laughs> so it's been a rough, uh, rough few years. Wow. But, 
Yeah, and then Medicine Hat's got a pretty decent community, too, of support, which is good. Mm-hmm. Not so much at the beginning. Uh, now I've kind of made the right connections. I know a lot of people like you guys, too, which has been really good. So, but for the last few years, like, it's been hard. And there's been not a lot of supports for family members. For sure. Especially spouses. Mm-hmm. Um, like, no support groups. Even trying to get into counseling. Like, I asked for a referral six years ago, and I still never got one. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's hard. It's, oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's. And then the stigma too, like community members too, like, or not community members. Oh well, yeah, I guess community members mm-hmm. is hearing like the commentary too. It's like, oh, well, he didn't love you enough and he deserved this and, yeah. you know, junky this and that. Like it's, yeah. it's really shitty. So it's Absolutely. like, well, if he had passed away in a car accident, would I be the bad person yeah. still? And so it's, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> wild when you, when you, when addiction's involved, right? It changes the whole story. Changes the yeah. whole narrative and the perspective of the general public. And now mm-hmm. we're worthless people and that's, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting that I've seen over the last few years, I think it really kind of is gurgling under the surface kind of pre COVID, but COVID really highlighted it. I think was like the, the destigmatization. Is that a word? Did I make that shit up? (laughs) Destigmatization. If it isn't a word, it should be, um, of like mental health. Right. Mm. But there's still a lot of shit with addiction. Oh, yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're not necessarily separate for sure. In some scenarios, they absolutely are completely Mm -hmm. different things, but there's a lot of scenarios that they're not that far off, Mm -hmm. right? Or like, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing, right? But uh, yeah, I think we, you know, it's this balance, you know, and I've been able to talk to some pretty, I don't want to say powerful people, but like very educated, very in the know, very in the subject matter of this. Right. And, uh, and my views kind of change in some of those conversations, right. Where I'm sitting here going, you know, we need to dig destigmatize addiction. They're like, no, we need to stigmatize it more. It's and, and, and from their point of view, they're like, you know, it's, we, we can't, we shouldn't make using illicit drugs that are, have, that are terrible for you, that you have a high likelihood of addiction and potentially death. We shouldn't make it okay. And I know that there's like, it might Mm -hmm. not be a very popular thing to say, right? But I mean, I I understand that in a sense that like, you know, we look at, we look at smoking, right? And like cigarettes, right? In the fifties, it was, well, I don't even know when, right? When I remember hearing stories about doctors, the number one cigarette endorsed by doctors, right? right? And, uh, and then, you know, with some research, it's like, holy shit, this is killing people. And, and now there's been very successful campaigns to stigmatize smoking cigarettes, right? Like even the packaging, the, those like horrific pictures on smokes, right? And that's all it is, is stigmatizing something that's deadly, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, I think where the conversation on that breaks down is the difference between stigmatizing drug use and stigmatizing the addict. Yeah. Like, I, I, you know, if you're in it, you're in it and, yeah. and we don't need to do any more damage to the, I know we talk about it sure. constantly, right? The guilt, the shame, all the shit that comes with that mm-hmm. and, and trying to, the only way that I knew how to deal with that, it was to numb it out with more of the same. Right. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think we need to get to a point where it's like, no, 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 it's fine if you do this because it's like, no, it's not. It causes like just the ripple effect, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, not only did, did your partner lose his life, lose his battle, but even you talking about six years of repairing the ripple effect of that, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we need to be better at 
stigmatizing things that are deadly. Yeah. But not necessarily the people that are in the throes of mm. it. Not the you person. Know, not, not the person, mm-hmm. but the act, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and that's something I can get on board with for sure, right? Because at the end of the day, the people who use substances are human beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was a human being lost in the mix of addiction, right? Mm-hmm. And, and somewhere along the line, I can relate to being treated differently by professionals, right? Now I'm mm-hmm. an addict. Now I'm somebody who is a cocaine user every day. And now I'm different and never really treated as a person, right? Mm-hmm. And to, to, I completely agree with that, right? I'm never going to green light the use of drugs, but I'm never going to dismiss the journey that somebody's going through. For me, it's like, that's a human being, right? We got to figure out a way to connect with that person. And is somebody going to get in recovery and and abstinence-based recovery tomorrow? No, probably not, right? But what's the next step to better their quality of life, right? We got to start planting those seeds to to something different than just green light the the use of drugs, I think, because your story is similar to many people who have sat mm-hmm. in this room, right? And similar to our stories, it leads to some very horrific places when we go down that path far enough. <clears throat> Nine times out of 10, it's death at some point. And that's what happened, you know, almost happened to me, almost happened to you, mm-hmm. which unfortunately happened to your spouse and mm-hmm. happens to thousands of people. Mm-hmm. We lose our battle to addiction every day. People mm-hmm. are dying every day. And, and for me, it's like, yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but it, there's a huge disconnect between the person and the substance, I think, right? Everybody's different. Everybody's going to get to recovery and recovery means something different to everybody, but it's planting those seeds. What are we going to do today to have people stop dying? Mm. And that's the piece I like to focus on. What can we do to, to you know, we can... And there's so many different polarizations of this and everybody has swung so far one way and swung so far the other way. And mm-hmm. nobody wants to meet in the middle and figure out how we can all work together. And that's, I think what you're talking about too, Rick is like, how the hell are we going to, f- you know, not fix this, but tackle this in a meaningful way together as a community. Cause going one way all in is not the right answer. Going the other way all in is not the right mm-hmm. answer. It's like, let's figure out how we can treat the person as a person and figure out how we can better their quality of life and, and That's keep, the piece I get passionate about. In yeah, and keeping them alive in the yeah. meantime during that. Yeah. yeah. And I know a lot of the resources here too. Well, what I found it's a lot of things are not easily accessible mm-hmm. um, or right away. And even with Riley too, um, this is something I forgot to add too, is just before he had passed away, uh, I had taken him to the hospital here because he was well, so the one I kicked him out. He went to a hotel and then I got him kicked out of the hotel actually. And so he had nowhere to go. So I took him to the hospital and we were begging for help. Like he was literally in tears. And I've never, I mean, he was a big, like big tattooed, like big guy. He was not a crier, but he Mm -hmm. was literally in tears um, begging for help. And they just kind of looked at him like he was scum and kind of put us in a back room, the family room Mm -hmm. after he was talking about killing himself too. But they let him close the door and turn the lights off. And they never checked on him once for six hours that I sat in that room with him. And I left because I didn't want to sit there anymore and I shouldn't have. But so it took over six hours for him to get help. And that was, I think, on a Thursday. And they told him that somebody would call him on the Monday or Tuesday after the, it was the Tuesday because it was after a long weekend. They said a psychiatrist would call him on Tuesday to get him the help. And nobody ever called. And by then, I mean, it was too late. But I mean, I know, and I, and it's not just our story. Like I've met so many people over the years and that's how we met too, is through like different volunteer groups and like advocacy groups. But everybody has the same kind of, well, not everybody, but very similar stories. And a lot of people I've met that have lost somebody. Mm-hmm. It's everybody's tried to get help. Everybody's reached out or tried to, you know, get into detox <laughs> or treatment or counseling or whatever. And then a lot of people are turned away and saying, oh, we'll come back in six weeks or mm-hmm. whatever. And by then 
I mean, that's that's such a deadly time. Yeah, we lose a lot of people in that gap. Yeah, and when mm-hmm. somebody's reaching out for help, even with mental health help, right? I mean, when you want help, you need it then. You don't need it two days from now or two hours. Like you need it then. It's right. It just I think there's such a barrier there, and it's just no time. I don't know. Some people just don't have time. Yeah, so for sure. And when you reach out, we've talked about this lots, and we talk about it off the air all the time, right? That when I re- was ready to reach out for help, if somebody wasn't there, you know, it's not very long couple hours maybe i start feeling better i'm eh, maybe i don't need help i got it mm-hmm. i got it now exactly yeah right yeah. and you may never come back and especially mm-hmm. with the drugs that are out there nowadays you may never get a chance to come back yeah well that's you know again that i keep coming back to this how lucky i am to not be an addict today mm-hmm. well you know whatever not that i'm not an addict. you know i'm forever not it's, it's who i am yeah. you know but but i guess like active right because mm-hmm. uh, i was I was not, you know, and it's, it's not really a surprise. I wasn't a responsible drug user, right? <laughs> like, and I know as I'm saying that it makes no, like it's an oxymoron, right? But I mean, you know, like I remember lots of times getting shit that like, this doesn't look quite right, or this doesn't smell quite right, mm-hmm. or this isn't a feeling I'm used to, right? And, uh. But lucky enough before, like, you know, the fentanyl and the car fentanyl and all the shit hit the market. So it, not that I wasn't gambling with my life every time For I sure. used, I was, mm-hmm. but by no means to the same extent that there is now. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, absolutely. you know, and I've had to have that talk with my kids and, mm-hmm. and be like, listen, you know, unfortunately, you know, and, and maybe it's, I'm going to lose parent of the year award here, but <laughs> Not that yeah, I was you lost in a lot really in the running, but um, just having a conversation with them, going like, you know, you guys. Unfortunately for you guys, you don't have the luxury of like experimenting with shit like mm-hmm. we we got to right because like it might fucking kill you. Like first mm-hmm. try, first day, you just yeah. got the wrong shit, and fuck even street weed nowadays exactly. is laced with fentanyl. You never know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean. So it's like you know, and and I guess that's one of the upsides to my kids are clearly heavily exposed to you know this this that i do and they have to sit through all kinds of shitty suppers when we're talking about it and <laughs> just roll their eyes okay dad we get it drugs are bad <laughs> but uh you know it, it's true like that you know there isn't um there isn't the room the room for error that there mm-hmm, was exactly you know, like when we were out there and it's fucking terrifying man because like I said, I was not a responsible drug user and, uh, and you ultimately have to now. And, and that's, you know, that's where I guess I get a little frustrated because I know even when you and I, Carrie first kind of came together, we were at least appeared to be from different ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I know that like OCJ has this rep or, you know, reputation, I guess, of being like a men's absence based recovery mm-hmm. thing wait a minute we're not no. i'm leaving <laughs> I'm <out of> here. <laughs> no just kidding <laughs> and it's not that we're not right we're that but we but we are more and i think that was a really cool thing about our conversation mm-hmm. is is me just being able to explain to you our position on things right and uh and and it isn't you know th- there's so much angst between the recovery community and the harm reduction community mm-hmm. and there's so much fucking energy wasted on that argument mm-hmm. and it's like we i don't care right i i, I don't i'm 
I'm here to help anybody find a path to better, Mm -hmm. right? Ultimately, do I think that the safest amount of drug use is none? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. For sure. Mm -hmm. Do I think that, you know, like Ryan said, we're going to achieve that overnight? Fuck no. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not an idiot either, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do I think there's a place for harm reduction? Absolutely, I do. Mm -hmm. Do I think that there's a place for, you know, people being able to be detoxed effectively? Absolutely. But do I think, like, an indefinite supply of Suboxone with only upping your prescription as you start to develop, like, you know, there's no quality of life to that either, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so, you know... For the record, <laughs> OCJ, like we, we absolutely believe that everybody that we, we just want to make sure that there's a path to recovery for everybody, mm-hmm. whatever that path looks like, whatever tools <laughs> it needs to utilize, whatever, you know, whether you come through harm reduction and you're on a detox plan and mm-hmm. you're on a treatment plan that includes harm reduction for sure. At some point though, if that shifts and you're like, you know what, I still think I can do better for my life, then like we can keep everything moving. Right. And, and I, and I just don't want to uh, ever get labeled as anything. Like we're yeah. here, we're actively looking for people to represent everybody's story so that, you know, whether it's, whether it is, you know, a, a different agency, a different end of the spectrum, like we don't need to fight. It doesn't need mm-hmm. to be an argument. It needs to be a conversation. Mm-hmm. How do we all work together? How do we all help people find a better quality of life mm-hmm. and fucking survive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and so that's what I really appreciated about, you know, our first couple conversations is how it was a conversation. It mm-hmm. wasn't, it was just a talk, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, here's, here's where I'm at. Here's where you're at. Yeah. And, and, uh, and it turns out we're not really on the other opposite yeah, ends of the exactly. spectrum, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We kind of came to that conclusion after like probably less than an hour of just having one conversation. Because when I came in, like I just kind of assumed you guys were kind of just on like the abstinence base. That's it. And I didn't know enough about it either then, right? Um, I don't know. It's really quite fascinating hearing like what you guys have done. And I wish I had kind of taken the time to research myself a little bit or educate myself. But yeah, it just took less than one conversation where we can kind of see both sides of it and like come together on. I mean, everybody wants the same goal. Sure. There's just, there's so many ways to get there. So. Yeah. That's- yeah. And you know, my story, Ryan's story, right. It is, it is abstinence-based recovery. It was through 12 step like that. And that mm-hmm. worked, that worked for us. Mm-hmm. I fucking know it doesn't work. Like I, I, I talk to people mm-hmm. every day that are dealing with this shit. I know that it doesn't work for some people. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we're just going to throw our arms up and be like, well, fuck, yeah. we, we tried, right? Yeah. No, we didn't. We can do better. And and if, like, I want to make sure that when we're, when we're putting options on the table, we're putting every option on the table. For sure. And that's the beauty of coming together and everybody kind of, like you said, right? Didn't know enough about what we do. Mm-hmm. And there's people involved with us that don't know about the harm reduction yeah. approach enough and all these things, right? It's about education and figuring this out together. And maybe that person who needs the harm reduction approach today, like you said, right? Maybe you need Suboxone to get over that hump Mm -hmm. and maybe they aren't ready today, but planting those seeds that there is a, there is hope for a better quality of life in the future. Mm -hmm. That's where I stand, right? I'm a hundred percent on board with harm reduction. If that's needed in your journey to, to better your quality of life, then let's tackle that. Right. Or I'll get you connected to the resources that work with you because that's their lane. Mm -hmm. And someday 
the recovery piece, right? And for me, recovery has changed. The definition has changed over the last eight years because I had my biases at the start. All I knew was- For sure. So did I. I know I'm a, I'm a full-fledged, <laughs> you put anything in front of me and I want more of it. And there's no moderation. There's no reducing that harm, right? I'm a pig and I'm going to use like a pig. So for me, abstinence was the only yeah, way. Are. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I thought, right? For years until I got more educated. And, and now, especially these last three years, it's like, there's so many pathways to recovery. And, and for me, recovery means a better quality of life. How am I to say, what qualifies me to say that you're not in recovery? What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, a big part of my recovery journey was, is the, is the figuring out ego, mm-hmm. right? And, and knowing that just cause this worked for me and I like, you know, I'll never, I'll never say that it didn't absolutely 12 step and abstinence saved my life. But early on, I said, uh, you know, I was of the opinion that, and that's the only road to recovery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck, no, mm-hmm. it isn't. For sure. Right? Like, and when, constantly, and I've had this argument, well, not argument, but discussion with people, right? And I'm as guilty as others, you know? I'm, tr- I'm trying to broaden my view. I'm trying to educate myself. But, like, who, who, who am I to say something doesn't work when there's somebody who their, their lived experience is standing in front of me going, yeah, but it worked because yeah. I'm standing here. Totally. Right. Mm. And it's like, well, okay, I guess I can't really argue that. Mm-hmm. Right. The same as I've had people go like, you know, 12 step doesn't work. I'm For going, sure. well, I'm standing here. I can yeah. tell you it does. Right. For sure. So, you know, just checking egos and opinions at the door and just listening. Right. Mm-hmm. And like what worked, what worked for you? You know what, you know, it's, that's, that's what we're basically trying to do is what worked for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and just ask that question to everybody and then be like, okay, you know, are if somebody comes to us and that's their avenue, that's where they, you know, that's something they want to try. Are you there to support them? And if the answer is yes, fuck you're in. Welcome mm-hmm. to OCJ, right? Mm-hmm. Wherever you are on that spectrum, welcome to OCJ. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because at the end of the day, the more resources we have, the more tools in the toolbox, we're idiots to turn our back on anything that will potentially help somebody. Yeah. No, totally. So what do you think, Carrie, going back to your story, what do you think looking, cause I know you said, as you were sharing with us, you know, looking back, I maybe did this wrong or that wrong, or what are some of the takeaways that you've learned now that you are more in this field? And you're more experienced and more educated around the whole topic of addiction and recovery and Feel. harm reduction. I always say sandbox. Field is a much more professional world. It's, yeah. I'm going to try to switch my vocabulary. Well, you started Sa- in the sandbox. Sandbox makes me sound like I'm in kindergarten. <laughs> Field makes me kind of sound Whenever like I hear the word sandbox, I think of those damn cats. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking hate cats. So I really, it's easy for me not to say sandbox. Sorry, I interrupted you. That's <laughs> all right. But what do you think you would... You know, for anyone who's listening, because there's, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that are experiencing or have gone through similar situations that you're going through. Yeah, whether it's a spouse through. or whether it's a kid or a family totally. member or somebody, but it's, there's a ton of them out there. Right. What do you, what do you think you would have done differently if this was today? <laughs> there's a lot of things I right? would have done differently, like a lot. Um, and it's easy to say that now. Um, I guess maybe it isn't actually easy to say it now. I, for me, I wish I would have educated myself on what addiction meant. Mm. Um, and that it's not, 
just because I want him to stop doesn't mean he's going to stop. And because he wants to stop doesn't mean it's that easy. As you guys know, I mean, it's not just a matter of using or not using. There's so many steps that are involved in it too, right? You have to make some changes mm-hmm. and you have to really work for it. It's not just that easy. So I wish I had understood what addiction actually was and that it is a disease, uh, that it's not just something you can just not have anymore, uh, that doesn't just go away just because you're not using, that it's a lifestyle choice or change, sorry, not choice, but change, mm-hmm. and that, that I should have made some changes too. I wish I would have been more supportive, um, compassionate for sure, because I was not very nice. I was, like I said, I came from a place of hurt, but I was not, I was not a very good partner in the end. I was, I lashed out for sure, said mm-hmm. some really horrible things. I wish I wouldn't have done that. Just if I could have at least kind of tried to look at it from his point of view and just kind of came with a little bit more compassion, I think, then it would have been probably a different outcome. He probably would have wanted to reach out for help a little bit more rather than being met with such hostility. So I wish I would have done that. Um, I wish I would have listened instead of talk so much. Because <laughs> I, I like to talk. So when I usually <laughs> think I'm right, which is not always the case. So I wish I had done that. And I wish I'd looked into the resources in the community for me too. Like I mm-hmm. needed help too. I needed, cause I didn't know what to do. That's these things are like, it's just, it's bigger than you. Um, just cause you want something to stop doesn't mean it's going to work that way. And it's hard to come to grips with that. Cause you think that if they loved you enough or you love them enough, that it would be that easy, but it's mm-hmm. not. And you guys know that. Um, so that was really hard. And I wish I could have understood that at the time. Cause mm-hmm. at that time too, I'm like, oh, well, you know, I made all these changes for him. Why is he using again? Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, what did I do right. wrong? And what's wrong with him? Mm-hmm. That's not the way it works. And I've lost a lot of friends since then too. And like a good friend of mine passed away right after Riley did too. Um, a girlfriend of mine that supported me through Riley's loss, her ex-husband who I'd worked with for years, he passed away right after too. And it was really quite heartbreaking because we were talking about how she hopes this never happens to her. And then it did, like right. within months. Yeah. And then another friend of mine, same thing too, is he had a surgery and he was prescribed medications. And uh, so his was, I think, just prescriptions. But yeah, passed away from that too. And there's been, and I mean, everybody's impacted in one way. So I think it's just kind of being a little bit more compassionate and mm-hmm. reaching out, getting the help you need too. So you can kind of be a little bit stronger and a little bit more knowing the proper ways to support somebody who's using. So yeah. You don't just know the answers and it's not that easy. So So what have you discovered on that journey for you? Like when, you know, you're talking a lot about what you do for you. What resources have you found? What's out there? What do you, what do you do for your self-care or your help or? Oh, for me. So I ended up volunteering with a couple of groups, uh, probably within the first year or two after I laid past. And one was Mom Stop the Harm, which has been amazing. Like that mm-hmm. group literally saved my life. And it's how I met like Kim Porter yeah. um, and a lot of other people too. But it, without them, like, I don't know what I would have done. That's how we came across. And then the Dr- Medicine at Drug Coalition, which was another big thing. So just different like advocacy groups that are like promoting whether, whether it's overdose awareness, mm-hmm. uh, mental health help just breaking different stigmas and barriers and whatnot. So that's been really, really good. But I stood, like I took a some time away from it just because it's like, it's a lot. It's oh, very sure it heavy. Is. Yeah. And then when it feels like you're not really making a difference or your voice isn't heard, it's very frustrating. It's like, you're kind of putting yourself out there so many times. You're the face of this. And in medicine, how it's hard because when people see you and hear your story, yeah. there's like, there's so many, the things that people say, it's just, it's ridiculous. So I just don't read the comments. And then I that's just, a good, that's a good self-care rule to yeah, instill. Yeah, I have to. I, Me I, too. Yeah, you just, you can't, like people are just so quick to judge. And when they don't know, it's easy to say those things. And I was probably like that two years mm-hmm. ago before this impacted me in the way it has. So it's, I get it. It's people just, they don't know and they're yeah. scared and they think they know the right answers. And 
So I just, I don't know, I avoid all that. But yeah, so I took some time away from advocacy. I'm kind of back in it right now. Mm -hmm. And then I do a lot of like art stuff. But a lot of my art that I do is like, it's all inspired by like my story or somebody's story. So it's all about like addiction, mental health. So that's been like my big outlet. So, and my dogs, they (laughs) drive me nuts. But yeah, they're, (laughs) they keep me busy. So yeah, we are fortunate to have you in this community and anybody who hasn't seen, well, I'm sure you've seen Carrie's art around the community. It's all over the place. And it's got a unique look to it because as soon as I see it, I'm like, that's Carrie Campus. Yeah. I know it 100%, right? And to know that it's tied to some of your experience and your life story and your journey, it makes the art even cooler. Mm. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's good. It's nice to have the opportunity to, and even like the mural that I did on the Cinnaboy, like I don't know if you even know the story with it, but there's the three different panels. And the very first panel is a tree and it has a bunch of flowers on it. Mm-hmm. But all those flowers were actually put on by different family members and people in the community that lost me to an overdose. So even while I was just painting, like the amount of people that came that just heard the story or heard me talking to somebody else, they stopped. And I remember there's this one little girl, she's probably eight or nine years old. And she was the first one that had heard. And she, I looked over and I just saw this little girl crying because she had heard what I was saying. And it was somebody in her family that had just passed away. And so she was one of the first ones that came and put the flower on. Um, So that was really hard to do. And then there's still initials and stuff on the tree. And it's actually one of the murals that hasn't been touched. Nobody's like vandalized it, which is really cool to see. But that was, it was, I don't know, that was a really impactful one to do. And it's not like my best piece of art by any means, but it's like it, that was the most impactful one. Um, so yeah, a lot of people come down. I had people like, I think at a lady in California messaged me to put a flower on her behalf. Mm-hmm. So it was quite wow. neat to do that. So, yeah. Oh my. Yeah. I didn't know the story behind that. That's yeah, so cool. Not, not a lot of people do. And I wish we could have put a little write up with it, but I kind of like that. It, not everybody does know. Right. Um, uh, so I hate to break this to you, but there'll be a lot of people who know after this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like at well, least six. Good. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Hey, six is better. I don't know how long it's going to be there. I know they're making changes with the building, but right. it's there now. And I know they're going to cover it at one point for one of our other mural projects. And then uh, we put up a big fight <laughs> and they changed their minds. Right. We guilted them into letting us keep it. So well, I do happen to know the new owners of the building so mm. i can put a word in for you yeah well even if we can move the panels because i think yeah. they yeah. come off but well, that's so cool about you know hearing that story about the art and the piece that's not talked about is that connection piece and talking with people and giving them a mm-hmm. you know opening the door to them sharing their story and mm-hmm. that healing journey and yeah. you know that reminds me i just talked to a good friend i was sitting out in front of the studio here talking to a friend that it was the friend that i did that bike trip across canada with and we were discussing that piece about how at the start it, it was about crushing kilometers and getting to the next town and campground and all this shit. But it wasn't long before we started meeting people on the sides of the highway and the sides of the, you know, gas stations, roadside turnouts, all that stuff. And they were sharing their story of how addiction was impacting their life. And that's what the whole purpose of that trip started to turn into and Mm -hmm. connecting with people. And that's for another show where I can list off so many people. I remember their stories in the cities we were in and the park bench I was on and all these things, but that's was the shift in me. And that's, we talked about that lots community and purpose when you want to get in recovery. Right. And I was in New Brunswick when I, I had this light bulb moment, like, holy shit, I think this is what I'm meant to do. I'm going to, mm-hmm. and I enrolled in the college here to take addictions counseling from New Brunswick on the seat of my Kona bike. Another plug for Kona. But, uh, Wait, that, you in the market for a new bike so you can ride across the country again? <laughs> oh, fuck. No, I'm not doing that again. That was, that was insane. But it's that whole connection piece, right? And opening these doors for people who are hurting and they mm-hmm. don't, maybe they don't have the resources in their community and maybe they don't have, you know, they can't push past the fear of reaching out. 
and just opening that door for them to start that conversation. And I don't know where it led. I left that day, right? But mm-hmm. maybe it started something for them and mm-hmm. you painting that tree with all these mm-hmm. flowers and all these communication and these moments where you got to hear people's stories. Mm-hmm. Who knows how healing that is for that person? Mm-hmm. Oh, Ryan, yeah, I just sure. got an idea. Oh boy, this means more work <laughs> for Ryan. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> oh, shit. We'll put a pin in this. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. So I love that piece. You know, we talked about, and Rick mentioned like, what are you doing for you? And I heard when I asked you about uh, what you would do different, right? I heard compassion, education around addiction and self-care. Huge mm-hmm. three things for yeah. you, right? Oh, for sure. And those yeah. are things that we recommend to, to family members all the time. What, what can I do? Because I can't make them go to treatment or I can't make them do this. Well, those are the things. Mm-hmm. Right. How w- the things we can control is what we can do mm-hmm. ourselves. And what are we going to do about this? Mm-hmm. Cause we can't control that person who's struggling. Mm-hmm. And I think those are huge mm-hmm. fundamental yeah. pieces to moving forward in our journeys of supporting people who are in active addiction. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very excited about building this relationship with you because I think you're such a resource. Oh, it's crazy. For, you know, for, I say us as OCJ, but like, you know, more than us, like the community that mm-hmm. OCJ supports. Because we do have so many people reaching out, um, kind of in your, in your field, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, there's lots. And even over the years, like the amount of messages I've gotten, like, it's just, it's crazy. Um, even like a good friend of mine too, she lost her grandson. That's how we ended up. A lot of the people in my life, that's how we know each other is through losses. Mm-hmm. And it's really quite sad, but it's quite inspiring too, because without these people, like, I don't know what I would do. So you just feel very like lost and alone and kind of like... It's easy to go back and be like, oh, I should have done this and that. And then like the guilt can be very consuming. Mm-hmm. And I let it kind of destroy myself for a little bit. And that's why I had to really kind of stop and be like, hey, either this is going to destroy me and I'm going to go down a dark path mm-hmm. or I can kind of turn something into this. And that's why it's nice to have these connections and kind of get back and do something positive with it. Because yeah. it's it's easy to be sad and it's easy to be bitter and angry and wish I did this and that. But it's also good to kind of take that and do something with it mm-hmm. so yeah. what are you gonna do with it right yeah exactly yeah so i'm looking forward to and to see like what can happen with this and with the training next week too looking forward to that so. yeah i was just informed you're gonna do some recovery coach training yeah yeah looking so forward cool. to that. yeah it'll be good and I'm i glad, and glad i, think, I listened <laughs> well in that piece around you don't have to be the person who's struggling mm-hmm. to be a recovery coach right it's, it's about bringing your experience and how are we going to use it moving forward, right? And I think you are going to be a huge advocate for that piece and that population. You know, you're not the one who's struggling with substance use, but you are a huge example of the ripple effect, like you said, Rick. And I know for a fact, when I was in active addiction, I thought, fuck you. It's my money. It's my body. I'm only hurting me. 100%, mm-hmm. right? Now that I'm in recovery and, and have done some educational stuff around it, Addiction impacts at least 16 people in your circle, right? And that Mm -hmm. ripple effect just starts fanning out. And when I started to talk to family and friends that were impacted by my addiction that I was so selfish in and thought it was only me, like, oh my God, I impacted my grandma who's 92 years old and I'd never Mm -hmm. even talked to her hardly ever, right? Mm -hmm. But she was crying and worried about me. Mm -hmm. And just things like that, right? And we lose friends and we lose loved ones Mm -hmm. and we got to repair all that. And I think this will be a huge piece to to you step up to want to help out in another facet, like you've already been doing some of this, but now to put a name on it and this is what we're going to do. And this is mm-hmm. when I say we, this is what you're part of the collective mm-hmm. and we'd all do it together. And that's part of building that mm-hmm. recovery community that we, we pound that drum all the time. Let's build a community because it's impossible to, to do it on your own. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. I, I kind of maybe 
didn't quite fully disclose that like once you're in, you're in. We're kind of like the mob, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's, there's only one way out of OCJ and you don't want to go there. <laughs> I don't think I do. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. It's in the small print when you sign on next Monday morning, it's read the small print. Yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm so thankful to have you on board and be able to have these conversations with the, you know, other, yeah, nobody can see I'm using air quotes right. The other end of the spectrum, just to mm-hmm. start bridging that gap mm-hmm. and being like, this is not, an adversarial relationship. Mm-hmm. It does not need to be. We, you know, no different than if you, if you get, if somebody on your, you know, I keep saying your side, I'm making it very de- divisive, but um, <laughs> you know, if, if you have a client that comes and they're like, Hey, listen, I want to try 12 step. It's like, cool. Let me put you in contact with some guys that can help you with that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, if somebody comes to us and they're like, I'm the spouse that needs some support. It's like, sweet, we got the person for you. Yeah. And that's one of the big pieces I think is, as we try to grow this recovery coach community that we have is making sure that there's representation for everybody. Cause mm-hmm. you know, my story might not, I'm, I'm for sure not the right fit for a lot of people, right? <laughs> yeah. For sure. Ryan will absolutely <laughs> attest to that, but I'm the right fit for some, right? Totally. And so it's just a matter of making sure that we've got enough resources that Mm -hmm. we can find the right person for you that you can connect that Mm -hmm. has that experience that can relate that because so much can be said I think about like actual empathy right not Mm -hmm. not compassion every you know I think compassion's easy right every everybody can say you know feel bad for somebody but Mm -hmm. I don't want sympathy I want understanding when Mm -hmm. I talk to people right and Mm -hmm. and you don't that's where I think that empathy kind of is a big deal and that's where the lived experience piece isn't matched right i we've all been through some shit at this table right <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh and if you haven't been through a shit you can't possibly understand nor do i really want you to right mm-hmm. but if you're in it fuck we're here to help you yeah mm-hmm. and and fortunately slash unfortunately now you're now you're part of that. <laughs> well, you, get a, you get your own chapter in the book when we write it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. And I love that you're here today. And, I, you know, we've known each other for quite a while in this community, like you said, through other agencies and crossing paths here and there. But this is the first time I've got the opportunity to sit down and really listen to your story. You know, I've heard bits and pieces of it and from other people. And mm-hmm. it's it's very courageous to hear where you were what you went through and what you're willing to do with it now right to help others and it's inspiring and it it makes me so proud to be part of what we're doing and so proud to call you a friend and that you're in here today and you're willing to sit and have these conversations and we're all in the same direction right we Mm -hmm. just want people to get help we want Mm -hmm. to be there to help people when they reach out and it doesn't matter what part of that journey they're on and like rick alluded to we want to have representation for every part of that journey because it's like the stages of change, right? Maybe somebody isn't in the action stage yet. So are we just going to turn our backs? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, what, what a bunch of assholes we'd be to do that. Like <laughs> some of us still are. Yeah. You <laughs> asshole. No, yeah. just kidding. <laughs> but no, it's all about quality of life. I think nowadays it's like, I, you know, here's a quick story and I won't say names cause it's not my place to say them, but I, I started working with a lady about four years ago. Uh, opioid user needed Suboxone, which is part of her story, right? Was really timid to come to 12 step groups because 
I'm not clean off all mind altering substance. And, and there are members in those rooms that will have that argument. And she asked me what my opinion was. And I said, how's your quality of life these days? She says, well, I'm not smoking heroin under the walking pass anymore. And I have a job. And I'm like, so I would, dead, I would say you are in recovery. Like that's your version of recovery and your quality of life is a hundred times better than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And she just took, uh, I won't say the, the milestone, but she just took a major milestone, got off Suboxone after two years, tapered off, had this recovery focus. She wanted to do better, wanted to do better in her life, knew that she could do better. And she was doing it at her own pace, right? But always had that forward momentum to better her quality of life. She's off Suboxone now and just took a milestone, a massive milestone in recovery, abstinence-based recovery. And uh, at the start, was she ready for that? Absolutely not. But she was open-minded enough to to know that this is what mm-hmm. I need today with a goal of that's where I'd mm-hmm. like to be someday. I don't know when I'll get there, but I'm always going to do something towards that. Mm-hmm. And I told her, and there'll be some guys in the 12-step community that don't want me to ever say this, but I said, fuck them. They're, you know, that's what the program says. Come, keep mm-hmm. coming, keep coming. Your quality of life is getting amazing. And uh, if that's the message you get in a room, maybe find a different room. Come mm-hmm. to the room. I'll show exactly. you a different room where you won't get that message. And uh, yeah, recovery is an individual journey, but you don't have to do it alone. You have tons mm-hmm. of support. And when we start to reframe it and your quality of life is getting better, good for you. Mm-hmm. I'll be the first one to high five you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. I get goosebumps. I'm such a softy. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any parting words that you have for our listeners today? This won't be the last words for me because you, like Rick said, you're stuck with us. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, you're on the team. <laughs> no, I'm just happy to be here. And I think these stories are important to share. Uh, I think it's important to talk about our people too. Just mm-hmm. um, there's so many different sides to it too, right? I mean, they're not just like users and it's, there's, I don't know. I think um, a lot of people miss like the human side of these stories and the people they were, the people that we are and the way that it's impacted. Um, Cause it's not just about their loss. Like it's about the lives they live too. And it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all negative. Like my partner was an amazing person. Like mm-hmm. when he was sober, he was great. He was probably the best partner I've ever had. Um, he was, he was amazing. He was a great person, did a really, or a lot of really great things. There was a lot of potential there. It's just, it's, this is unfortunate that this happened. Mm-hmm. And even with him too, his addiction started with the prescription when he was very, very young after a car accident. And then it just kind of spiraled and then it turned to like IV drug use and it just, yeah. it's, he didn't do it by choice. <laughs> this isn't something he wanted to do. This isn't something I wanted to do. It just, it, this is just what happened. And yeah, I, I don't know. I think if we just kind of look at the human side of things a little bit more, instead of being so quick to judge and mm-hmm. talk about things we don't know, sometimes it's nice to just kind of be quiet and listen and to get to know people, listen to their stories and try to understand where they're coming from. So that's kind of, yeah. No, I'm just, I'm happy to be here. So thank you for letting me share these. It's awesome. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you were willing to have the first conversation with me. I was just some random guy that reached out to you and was like, Hey, you want to go for a coffee? <laughs> creep. <laughs> story, Who's this creep? story of my life. Right. <laughs> Thankfully you didn't go too far. Yeah. Too far into my past, but um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really thankful that you were willing to have that conversation because there's so many people that just won't, right? That are like, this is this is my belief and this is what's right and this is the only thing I'm going to look at. Mm. And, and it's, you know, it's 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 unfortunate that we can't be more cooperative and, mm. and uh, 
holistic in our approach, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't need to be a confrontation. It doesn't mm-hmm. need to be a fight. And uh, I think that's kind of the position that we're trying to take here at OCJ is, you know, we're not, I'm done fighting with people. Like at the beginning, you know, we got lit up pretty hard at certain times by certain people and certain <laughs> agencies and, and, you know, uh, uh, and it just got to a point that I'm like, you know what, Ryan, fuck it. Like, let's not, let's stop defending ourselves. Let's just mm-hmm. keep doing what we're doing. Cause it's not, you know, if we're wasting our time and our effort and our energy in argument, mm-hmm. that's time that's better served being productive. So, um, yeah, I'm just really thankful that you're willing to, to meet with me and have a conversation and, and hear, and hear what we're doing and, and then it's, it's, it's really cool that, you know, it, it, uh, kind of changed your opinion. You know, I don't want to speak too much for you, but, um, that you're willing to get on board and help support us. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. For I'm sure. Good. Well, and when, and when you say help support us, I know like how many more people are going to get supported when you step up to the table. That's the cool piece I think about, right? It's always, it's about other people getting help and how many people are struggling out there. Like you said, early in your journey, you wish there was more of these supports that aren't there even today. Mm-hmm. And who knows what that grows into. That's one cool piece about OCG I find is that, you know, we're a little over two years old now, but look at the growth in the organization mm-hmm. and the different directions it's going now. Right. But it's all falling under that same umbrella of recovery, which is defined by the person who's stepping up to, to reach out to us. Right. It's mm-hmm. like, you're in, responsible for your recovery and you tell us what that's going to look like. Yeah, exactly. And that's so cool. It is exciting because there's, there are a lot of people that reach out in your position. Like this is kind of a warning for you. (laughs) There's a lot of people that reach out in your position. And, uh, and you know, as much as I was talking about empathy, like, well, you know, I, it's, it's not for a lack of effort or attempting to understand, Mm -hmm. but I just don't because it's Mm -hmm. not my story. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, having somebody within our organization that, does have that experience and does truly have that empathy will be amazing for people and our community. So thank you very much. Well, thank you guys. Yeah. I think it'll be good for me too, just to kind of make something of this, right. And helping mm-hmm. other people too. And yeah, unfortunately it's something I can relate to, but I think this is a good, good way to deal with it. So yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, with that, I think we'll wrap things up today. Uh, I just really want to, I can't thank you enough for coming in here today. This is when Rick said you were coming on. I was like, yes, this is going to be a great episode, right? And they're all great, but this was one that really hit home for me. And and I just know based on how many people reach out to Rick and myself and the rest of the clan at OCJ that how many people you're going to be able to connect with, it's going to be wild. So yeah, buckle up because it's coming for sure. <laughs> and uh I guess with that, we will wrap up this episode of From Darkness to Life. We want to really thank all our listeners. And if you're enjoying these podcasts, you know, if you're on Apple, leave some feedback, leave some uh, reviews, all that stuff, right? Because it helps people. We always talk about this. We're not geniuses. Dave in the back knows about algorithms and all that. We don't. I don't know shit. Right? (laughs) I just know how to turn this mic on and off. No, I don't. He does. (laughs) (laughs) We don't even do that. (laughs) That's true. Uh, don't let out all our trade secrets to the <laughs> listeners, but no, it, it helps people who need to hear these podcasts, right? It helps them find them. It's not about us and promoting our podcast because we're on a podcast. Who gives a shit about that? It's somebody out there needs to hear these messages and, and that's the only way that they might be able to find them. So leave a little feedback. If you're enjoying, uh, the rest of what you're hearing, just, uh, let us know because 
we just never know where this is headed. No, we don't. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. And if you're in the market for a house, Nicole Davis Real Estate, thanks for sponsoring our podcast. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening.